1: everybody and welcome to The Crit Show. Uh, my name is Rev, I am the host and DM of The Crit Show, a Monster of the Week actual play podcast, but today we're actually here with a different purpose. Uh, we are going to do a little let's play for a game called Demigods by Jason Mills. And as a special treat, we actually have Jason with us here today to run the game. Hi, Jason. Jason. Hello, Jason.
3: Hello, it's a pleasure to be here.
1: So, real quick, around the table, everybody introduce yourselves. That way, uh, anybody who happens to pick this up through uh, the Demigods Kickstarter or any other location has an idea of the voices that they're hearing. Hi, everybody. This is Tass. My name is Teej. And I am Jake. And I, again, am Rev. So, Jason, why don't you tell us a little bit about the game?
3: Uh, right, so Demigods is uh, a PBTA, a Powered by the Apocalypse-style game where you play the half-mortal, half-divine children of the gods. Um, it's uh, primarily focused on action-adventure, but also gets some complicated relationships in there, which uh, I didn't want to make a game without that. So I, I like all the, the feels. Yeah, so. excellent. So
1: I think that... Uh... The first step is Jason's going to walk us through character creation.
3: So the very first step is for everyone to pick a playbook. Um, We can't go any further
1: until you do. That we have done, at least in advance. Uh, So I have picked the Trickster.
4: (laughs) I have picked the Reaper. I have gone ahead and picked the Celestial. And I am the artisan.
3: The next task is um, things like the name and the, uh, your divine parent, a god or goddess or something else that is, uh, has inspired your existence. In demigods, you are, you exist because the gods can't come to earth all the time. They will break reality if they do. So they, either adopt or uh, the more creatively uh, way create uh, demigods, their children, to carry out their plans on Earth. And so that's what you're going to be asked to do. And uh, so by that token, you will need to have some sort of divine being to sponsor you. Uh, But then we get to jump right into doing your backstory.
1: I suppose for the purpose of uh well for brevity uh let's take just a little jump cut here while we make these characters and then we'll hop back in and explain them
4: excellent
1: and we're back uh so we (laughs) just want to go around the table and kind of go through who we are
0: yeah i think so just doing this uh kind of chunk of the name and all that information
1: sure cool oh you said that like you were going to go i certainly can
0: (laughs) (laughs) i again i'm playing the reaper uh her name is candy callow uh and she is the daughter of Hades the god of the underworld just general backstory uh, her look is very stylish very brightly colored uh like her hair i think her hair naturally is this like this mix of neon green and like a sky blue um so that's just kind of part of what she got from her parentage um she learned around age 12 um, that she was special, um, and was actually informed by Hades himself. What kind of happened is, even as a child, she had this idea of, um, the longevity of certain things, like social media trends and, um, you know, popular toys and items and TV shows, even just lots of random popular things. She could kind of glance at a thing and go, Well, that that might be popular for a second, but I'm not going to get on board with that because that's going to die away soon. And then there was a moment with a pet that passed away and she actually saw somebody show up to help the pet pass on to the next realm. And that was when she knew, okay, this is this is really something. And when she finally saw that, that's when Hades showed up and said, this is what you are. You're a reaper. This is, um, you know, your lineage. And explain the whole thing, and she embraced it wholeheartedly. Um, so she sees it as part of her mission to, you know, make sure that she's there for people when they pass, and to be able to get them comfortably um on to the next realm and to, you know, look back at their life and see all of the joy that they had and make it an easy transition. Her parents are, you know, she was given by the gods to good parents that would raise her. And um so they are Henry and Tammy Callow, um very kind of uninteresting homebodies. You know, they're nice people but don't really have any ties to this extracurricular extracurricular, that's not right. Extra uh, supernatural world. Let's put it that way. <laughs>
4: My character, the Celestial, uh, his name is Elwin Carter. He is the divine demigod son of Diana and Kyle slash Karen Carter. His look now is, uh, he's in his sort of mid thirties and everything, and he's sort of a suburban cowboy, uh, wearing jeans, maybe some boots, uh, a nice, stylish, you know, button up shirt from, you know, Boot City or something like that. Cowboy hat. The way he found out that he was divine was at the age of sixteen. His uh, dad, Kyle Carter, took him out hunting. He wanted to make a man out of Elwin and everything. And as Elwin is out in the woods, uh, everything becomes clear to him. Like he can see the the little tracks that animals make. He can hear the the wind more clearly and smell things in the air better. And uh, eventually, it leads him to tracking down a deer which actually starts to speak to him and it's his mother diana speaking through the deer and she is remorseful that she left Elwin on this mortal plane to exist when she, he could be up in the the great hunting grounds and everything and uh basically she's she's sad that she doesn't have a hunting buddy so and Elwin's kind of you know Eh, about it. Karen and Kyle are good parents, but you know all this new power and everything. He, uh, he, he, he wants to use it and he embraces it and everything, but he's not like too concerned about getting up there, even though it is basically his destiny to go there.
2: Uh, so again, I am the artisan. My character's name is Benny Wachowski. I don't know who my divine parent actually is. So uh, all I know is that I was contacted by Wayland the Smith who is from the Germanic pantheon, who let me know like kind of the details of who I am and why and that for some reason. My parents don't want me to know who they are or whichever parent is a deity doesn't want him to tell me. So he's not allowed to tell me. Um, But Benny was actually born in the uh, 20s and aged up to about late 20s, early 30s. I don't think he totally remembers when he stopped, Um, but he just kind of he liked that age, sort of not youth, but not old uh, and is just kind of hovered around there. So he's been through the world. Um when he knew he was special was when he was 10 years old uh, in his 5th grade science fair, he blue ribboned super hard. Like he did a science fair project that would be impressive now in like the 20s. And so he's like, something is weird about me. And so about that time is when Wayland the Smith came and said, you're right. Something is weird about you. You are the child of a god. And it seems like you're really good at building things and crafting. And Benny said, who is my, who is my godparent? And Wayland said, can't tell you that, but I'll tell you how to craft things better. Bye. Um. <laughs> So, he has kind of just ridden, ridden the timeline here. He is a kind of a spindly guy, blonde hair. He perpetually looks tired. Um, he's got dark circles under his eyes. He's always working on things. He's up late. Um, he has kind of shifted through the phases of time and, you know, not, not stood out, but for some reason he really latched on to like the grunge look. So even nowadays he is still just kind of grungy in jeans and a flannel shirt and stuff like that. All all dirty because for the most part he works with his hands. He is kind of a, a garage guy, a mechanic guy. He doesn't have especially strong feelings about the rest of his pantheon. He likes Wayland a lot. Wayland is the one who has looked out for him uh, and helped him out. The rest of them don't seem that inclined to do anything for him and certainly not to tell him who his parent is. So he's just kind of whatever about him. Uh, his mortal parents are uh, Albert and Julia Wachowski. They're nice. They were suburban folk. They're obviously not around anymore. Um, they they aren't immortal like he is. So it's been a long time since he had his parents around.
3: So Jake, you're taking advantage of the fact that demigods can live a long time. How old does Benny look?
2: Uh, Benny looks like he's late twenties, early thirties. Um, you know, I probably just call it thirty on the dot. Again, I don't think Benny remembers exactly how old he was when he kind of realized that that was something he had control over um so he's like I don't know somewhere around 27 to 33
1: yeah cool and I am playing Draven the trickster his Divine parent is Plutus the god of wealth his look he wears a very nice special tailored suit very well put together and has a Very cleanly shaven head and face. He found out that he was special at the age of 13 when a worker in the orphanage that he was living in told him Uh, this worker's name was Harold. And Harold had been working at this orphanage for about 40 years and had encountered something like this when he first started. Some child that seemed special or different and gifted and kind of discovered as this kid went on what it was that they were. And so then he started to do just a little bit of kind of off the cuff research, like, oh, my gosh, that's crazy. I can't believe these things exist. You know, he's one of the few mortals that kind of believes that this could be possible. And so then when he saw Draven and the things that he could do, it was like, oh, my gosh, I'm seeing this for the second time in my life. I know what you are here and like showed him newspaper clippings and old articles and stuff like that. His thoughts about his pantheon are that he is kind of competitive. You know, the parent being the, the god of wealth, Draven is driven to take things of power or importance, like collect magical baubles or really rare items to show that it's not just a mass accumulation, but it's also what they are and if they're special that's important. So he wants to get a collection that kind of puts his father to shame and then his mortal parents are unknown. Um, the orphanage that he grew up in was the Lanholm Orphanage, and this was about 150 years ago um, when orphanages were very rough places, so he grew up in a place where it was very dangerous to be a little different, um, and so it was kind of a rough upbringing for him, but he also looks like he's kind of in his mid-30s. He stopped aging about that time when he realized that he could control it.
3: Okay, so the next part of character creation is picking out your gifts and then the subsequent moves that are sometimes modified by those gifts. So gifts are kind of like a static benefit that your character has. Sometimes they're an object, sometimes it's an aspect of your character. But it uh, kind of represents the you know how your character has been empowered to carry out the will of the gods, so to speak. Or your will, depending on how that plays out. But... Um, the, you get to pick three from this list. Um, the short version is anything that says epic in front of it is a, a, a literal sort of physical item or like epic steed. It doesn't have to be a horse but it is some sort of ride that you have. Um, anything that says divine in front of it isn't a, a divine descriptor if you will. A narrative fact that may or may not have a mechanical benefit all the time but it does say something about your character and is definitely something I would take into account. Like If you have divine might, I will assume that you are very strong and that that will matter to the narrative. So the rest of them can be a little bit vague, and they're vague on purpose so that we'll have a conversation about it. It's a trick. I have tricked you into talking to me about how you feel. (laughs) (laughs) And um, we will decide what that means. If something seems vague but fun and you want to figure it out, let's figure it out.
0: Um, so for Candy, I have a couple things in mind here. Um, I like the idea of the, the most direct thing that she got from Hades is an aura of dread. And I feel like this is, you know, usually she's a very bubbly, um, social person, um, you know, brightly colored clothes. You know, she wants to hang out and talk. But when she needs to, she can turn on this aura and, you know, drop the mic. <laughs> she can, uh, like they just the colors that she's wearing dull and, um, you know, people have this wave of that dread that can sink in.
3: Cool. So it's not a physical object she has. It's just this. Exactly. Uh, quality about her.
0: Right. Awesome, And I think that's going to feed in a little bit to one of the moves that I'll get to, um, because I think there is a little more physical manifestation of this and another aspect of it. Um, But as far as the gifts, the other thing uh, I like the idea of is one that is the Book of the Dead. And I was trying to think about that like, okay, if she is a reaper, she has to have some way to know, like, I should be at this place at this time to either stop somebody from dying that shouldn't or help them along if they're sort of faded here or you know otherwise accidental or whatever it might be um and so since she does have this connection to social media and that's kind of how everything started to manifest at first anyway that for her it is an app that's in her phone and it's almost like a lift driver app where you know she can flip through and be like okay this is suited to me this makes sense this person's going to be here at this time i'll do my best to go take care of that does that make sense or
3: yeah i love it i also love the idea that there's this little corner of the app store devoted to divine apps that only a few people can access yeah right <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome
0: excellent okay so then yeah i'll lock that down one of them was interesting it's uh, actually to take a move from the muse playbook Um, so I glanced through one of those and one that really stuck out that I think would be very telling about her character is called hashtag blessed. Um, and are we kind of talking over the full situation on the moves?
3: Yeah, let's roll, let's roll right into your moves. That's a good segue.
0: Okay. So yeah, again, this one's called hashtag blessed. Things just work out for you. There's always a parking spot right out front, a table ready, and your name is definitely on the VIP list. Uh, If there's a mortal inconvenience in the narrative, let the Herald know how it works itself out. And, you know, one of the, (laughs) yeah, right? Isn't that great? And uh, then one of the more mechanical pieces of this is any attack that only deals one harm before armor misses you every time. So hashtag blessed. I think that really feeds into the fact that she's not just a social person. She's kind of a pseudo celebrity. She's a very big online presence. Maybe she's done some modeling and some other things. Um, so, you know, she has a big Instagram following and things like that.
3: At least famous in the city.
0: Yeah, in the city. Yeah, exactly. Not like a world celebrity or anything, but... And so then I picked... We picked three actual moves. So this, this is moving into the moves as opposed to the gifts. Um, and this one also is uh, directly connected to one of the gifts. Uh, this one's called Lust for Life. You're the kind of reaper who turns people's dread of death into appreciation for the time they have left. Uh, anyone joining you for a drink, smoke, or some other celebration will heal one harm during your first toast. If they give you a gift, like a drink, a, a promise... Food, etc, they heal to harm instead. Um, and it's little thing attached for gift it is. if you have aura of dread, you can change it to an aura of celebration and back again. So I think her aura of dread, like I said, kind of manifests as the dulling of her colors of, um, you know, just this aura sending out that wave of fear. But when she switches it to aura of celebration, everything becomes more vibrant, more noticeable, more just fun. And, you know, people want to be celebrating when they're around her. They're The thing that they were kind of excited about, they're raring to go on.
3: Yeah, it's, it's important to have, you know, one aura for spring and summer. But then when Labor Day comes around, you can't have the same old aura anymore. Everyone knows that. <laughs> <That's> <laughs>
0: exactly. Right. Uh, the next one I picked was What Has Been. I roll 2d6 plus judgment to determine someone's guilt on a specific matter or their deepest regret. Uh, on a 10 plus, they spill their guts seven to nine. I get a sense of their guilt, but nothing specific. And for the gifted addition to that, if I have a book of the dead, which I do, uh, you will also have a clear idea of the best way to help this person clear their conscience. Uh, and the last one I went with was what will be stun a small group as their lives flash before their eyes. Roll 2d6 plus judgment. On a 10 plus, the group is stunned for the scene, pondering their own mortality, unless someone interferes with them. Uh, On a 7 to 9, the group is stunned until interfered with, or a minute passes, whichever's first. There is a gifted addition, but I did
4: not take that. And those are her moves.
3: Great. Awesome. Teach.
4: Uh, So the first gift I have is called the Chameleon Cloak. And it actually helps a move I have called Eclipse. When you remain still with even the least notion of cover, you fade from mortal perception. People can even bump into you and not notice until you make your move. And if you have a chameleon cloak, you can also hide from supernatural beings as well. Nice. So I assume that means other gods or demigods and everything too.
3: Oh yeah, it's it's handy when hellhounds are on your trail. It's the... It's a- all Ooh. around useful Ooh.
4: tool. Nice. And then uh, I got the divine presence. So I assume whenever I walk into a room... People notice me. And then I went with an epic ranged weapon, uh, which you said was plus four harm, I believe.
3: It's just four harm. Yes.
4: Okay. Four harm. And then uh, I think it's the bow of Diana. She uh, laid it before my feet when I was 16 and I can just pop it out whenever I need it. And then boom, there it is.
3: Did you have a sense of what your cloak looks like?
4: Oh, uh, yeah, actually. Uh, I kind of envisioned it sort of as a World War One like a uh, sniper's cloak that sort of like uh like the over the shoulder thing. Yeah, the over the shoulder thing. And then I took Fight Smarter. You may use judgment instead of prowess when rolling Smite your enemies, but may not pick Protect yourself or Crush them, uh which is one of the I believe Smite your enemies moves that you can do whenever you roll for that. And my judgment is at a +3 so that'll definitely come in handy. And then I went with Tracker roll 2d6 plus judgment when you divine someone's movements through signs and portents if you have something important to the quarry take a plus one to your roll which is kind of neat on a 10 plus you see into the near near future and know where they'll be in an hour on a seven and nine you know where they are right now and where they've been recently and on a 6 you get a vague idea of whether of where they've been recently but it'll take some old-fashioned legwork to find out more nice. Yeah. And those are all my moves. Uh, so for the artisan, uh, the gifts I chose were a,
2: an automaton, parentheses, harmless. Um, so I just have a little kind of helper bot. It almost looks like, uh, kind of like a floating Roomba times, uh, Mr. Handy from Fallout. Like he's got a collapsible (laughs) arm that disappears into a little panel on his body, but he just kind of hovers around and, and does what I ask. Divine intellect and, uh, an epic tool, which I think is essentially a multi-tool. It's like a Leatherman. It is very much a uh, a hand tool, not like anything to do with tech or anything like that, really, but to do with screws and pliers and scissors and stuff like that. It is a mechanical
1: tool. Tool.
3: one of the um important aspects of an epic tool that I should mention is that it can do something that the mortal version of that tool can't do so um you know if you want to add something to it like oh yeah if you're it has like a power screwdriver like the screwdriver will spin by itself or you know so you can think about what um what the leatherman can do that uh, a normal oh weapon.
2: okay could it have like a uh oh, what's the term I'm looking for like a like a powered bit attachment where like it could take sockets or it could take screwdriver heads and it'll oh,
3: yeah like a like a drill like a power drill sort yeah of like
2: a power drill like it's just got a place where you could put on conventional bits for like a normal power drill that will run off of this leatherman
3: yeah just a a, a spinny bit a, s- a, spinny, a spinny bit,
2: bit. an <laughs> adaptable spinny bit
3: i think that's a technical term yeah i like it. all
2: right uh So the moves I took, the first one is called Crafty. When you make or fix a machine or device, describe what it should do and select traits from the list. The traits here are only suggestions. Work with your herald on new ideas. When the device had been defined, roll 2d6 plus metal. On a 10 plus, pick two features. On a 7 and 9, pick one feature and one bug. On a 6 or less, pick two bugs and then duck. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the features are autonomous, disorienting, distracting, harmful, long-range, restraining. Bugs include collateral damage, loud, messy, handheld, inaccurate, needs fuel, vampiric. Um, but the gifted bonus for this is if you have an epic tool for the job, treat a 7 and 9 as a 10 or more. So wow. I either do it horribly or I do it super well. No in between.
3: Turns into kind of a binary option. Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, the next move is called deus ex machina. Roll 2d6 plus judgment when you touch a device or machine and project your will into it. You can control the object, animating any moving parts. Your actual body remains in a trance-like state until you withdraw or can't touch the object anymore. On a 10+, plus, take plus one forward to push the object's performance beyond normal. On a 7 and 9, you can use the object as intended, as if an expert were operating it. Uh, and the gifted bonus for this one is, if you have divine intellect, you retain consciousness and mobility. So I can both project into, and operate the device. Oh, wow. And stay normal outside of it.
3: And I should mention, just because this has come up in playtesting a bunch, um, cars and vehicles do, in fact, count as objects. So if that becomes uh, important to you, then feel free to make use of that.
1: You can oh. safely ghost ride a whip. That's
2: awesome. Because <laughs> So one of the other moves for this that I... I wanted to take so bad and I decided not to is just driver. Vehicles speak to you. They share their deepest hopes and dreams and you make them reality. You can pilot any vehicle from chariot to space shuttle as if you've been training for years to be the best. And like I loved that but I was like no I'll do something else. I'll pick a different one but the fact that I can now I am become car that is excellent.
3: (laughs) Those two together definitely create some epic situations but one or the other will will generally get the job done.
2: That is super. Uh, And then the last one I took is workshop. Uh, you have a workspace of some kind specific to the types of things you know how to make. Describe its attributes. Uh, so you pick three facilities. I chose heavy tools, fine tools, and mobile workshop. Uh, and you pick two hindrances. I chose disorganized space and supernatural clients show up. Uh, so I imagine <laughs> just random people roll up and I'm like, no, get out of here. <laughs> get out of my shop.
3: Yeah, the Minotaur shows up and says, uh, hey, could I uh, have a helmet or something? My- this one doesn't fit
2: absolutely not (laughs) and there is a gifted bonus for that but it is based on a gift i did not choose so for me that move is just normal
1: all right uh for my gifts my first one i took was epic armor i like the idea that growing up in this orphanage you know draven is not a fighter and being in that orphanage when he was young and it being kind of a rough place that he's actually like he's just always afraid that someone's going to come up and get him when he's not expecting it that he has found a suit uh, that is magical and acts as armor, uh, so he's always very nicely dressed, but the suit itself has this epic armor tag on it, and it is a dark gray pinstripe suit. And then I took Prestidigitation, which lets you kind of do sleight of hand or, you know, very minor magic, and then my last thing is a puzzle device, and... This actually kind of connects to one of my moves. One of my moves is, oh, you mean this gate key? Uh, You are able to produce a small object, which is useful in the immediate situation, but is not 100% correct and vanishes right after you use it. For example, a key which opens the door and jams the lock, an ID badge which works if you don't look too closely, or a swipe card that might fry the reader. Uh, If you have a puzzle box, the object works perfectly the first time, no glitches, The object can be used two more times after that, but no promises on the result. So I like the idea that he has this puzzle box and to go with the suit, it is like an old um, cigarette holder that he opens it up as if he's going to pull out a cigarette and what he pulls out is whatever it is he happens to need for that situation.
3: I love it. I hope we do that when the thing that you needed is way too big to fit in the cigarette case. (laughs) Yes, exactly.
1: Um, And then actually along with that cigarette case, uh, my next move is jumper. Perform a ritual to travel instantly to any person or place in which you are familiar. Describe the ritual you must perform each time you jump. I think it is tapping the cigarette case as if I were, you know, packing the cigarettes.
3: Uh, yeah, the into your other hand. Nice. Okay.
1: Yep. Um, And then my last move is uh, larceny. Take plus one when rolling perform under pressure to sneak, pick locks, or generally get away with something you shouldn't be doing. Uh, If you have prestidigitation, roll with weird plus one instead of metal. Uh, And so that will let me, uh, when I'm trying to sneak or steal, uh, roll with a plus three.
3: Okay, so... The gifts and moves are kind of the the main engine of the game. You'll note on your character sheet you also have a death move. That's the thing you can do while you're dead. Hopefully while you're dead, your friends are trying to get you out of your um, afterlife. But if anyone should happen to uh, lose all of their health, most of you goes to your Pantheon's afterlife and your shade remains with your uh, woven band, your weave. Uh, because you're still tied very tightly together. Additionally, your uh, attributes uh, are made up of prowess, metal, M-E-T-T-L-E, awe, judgment, and weird. Uh, Prowess is your fighty fight stat. Uh, Metal is how you get stuff done under pressure. Awe is how impressive you are, and judgment is a big kind of catch-all perception, like, is someone lying to you? What's going on here? Investigation, all that sort of thing. And then the weird attribute is kind of your ability to do magic, but it's really about uh, bending fate to your will. So um, some people are better at it than others, but anybody can roll weird if you want to do something strange. That's available to all. So
0: as far as those attributes, for the Reaper, it goes down the list as zero for prowess, minus one for metal, Plus one for awe, plus two for judgment, and zero for weird. Um, and I put my plus one in awe, so I actually have a plus two
4: there now. For the Celestial, the prowess is minus one, metal plus zero, awe plus one, judgment plus two, and weird plus zero, and I put my extra one into judgment for judgment plus three. Uh, the Artisan
2: gets prowess zero, metal plus 2, Awe minus 1, Judgment plus 1, and Weird zero, and I put my plus 1 into Judgment, so I've got Judgment plus 2.
1: And for the trickster, it is Prowess zero, Metal zero, Awe plus 1, uh, Judgment minus 1, and Weird plus 2, and I put my uh, plus 1 into Judgment to get that to a zero. You want it to be more judging. Yes, exactly. I feel <laughs> like if I'm uh, trying to be a thief, it might be a good idea to be able to read the Excellent. situation.
3: <laughs> That's a good call. Not a bad idea. Okay, so so the, um, some of the last things we need to go over is um, your ability to gain a threat. So there are a couple things to track in this game. One is harm, which is your health. Uh, you have seven health, basically. And if you take seven harm, you're dead and you get to use your death move, which I guess is a perk. Um, but uh, hopefully your friends will find some way to uh, revive you, as is often the case in uh, you know, mythic, heroic stories. Um, the thing that you might be more interested in is, are your threads. Your threads are how we count something like XP in this game. Uh, you can get them a number of different ways, but you can, uh, also spend them in a couple different ways. They're a dual economy. So either you can save up five threads and spend them on an advancement, or you can spend them one at a time as needed. You can spend a thread to, um, give yourself fate's favor, which means to roll three dice and keep the better two. And you can actually do that after you've rolled your two dice already. Um, You can also spend it to um, absorb two harm. Like if you just got hit with some damage, you could spend a thread to reduce it by two. And you can also spend a thread to add a a significant detail to a scene. This is a collaborative storytelling. We're all going to add stuff all the time. But if you want to add something really big, spend a thread and uh, tell us what it is. One of the things that we should note... so. Everyone will gain a thread anytime you roll doubles. So doubles on the dice, two ones, two sixes, uh, whether it's a, you know, whatever the total is, if it's doubles on the dice, you get a thread. If you do something truly epic and amazing and we are all just blown away by what you did, that's worth a thread too. Uh, and I should note, a lot of PBTA games do, uh, you get a thread on a six minus roll, and that's not the case here. So, uh, it'll, it'll be doubles, it'll be doing something epic, And there's four things on your playbook that you are... I I like to say you're being bribed to do uh, as it sort of themes the playbook a little bit. Uh, Do you guys want to read those off?
0: Sure, absolutely. Uh, For the Reaper, I just love these so much. Um, For the Reaper, they are save a life, throw a party, (laughs) make morbid
4: remarks, and (laughs) ease someone's suffering. And for the Celestial, reveal a lie... Track someone down, present a new perspective, or pass judgment on someone. Ooh. Uh, For the artisan, fail a roll. Oh. uh, Make something cool,
2: explain how a device works, or break something you shouldn't have.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. For the trickster, trick someone, cause a distraction, tell an unnecessary lie, (laughs) teach someone a lesson.
3: Oh. Nice. I like we have high judgment, high judgment, high judgment, and the trickster. Another thing, we don't have to jump into it right now, but um, don't forget that you have your Ascendance move. That's your your big go-to. You get to take control of the narrative for the scene and and let us know what's happening. If you do that, you check off one use of your Ascendance. And then you also have to take a permanent consequence, which we'll cross that bridge if we come to it. Uh, The only thing worth noting is if you use your Ascendance move three times, that's your character leaving the game. You're going to ascend to your Pantheon. And become a full-on deity. And you have to make a new character for the game. Because deities can't hang out with demigods all the time. So, uh, just an aspect of the game. Um, to to close up our uh, character creation here, there's a couple things we need to decide. Uh, one, we have to decide who or what our spindle is. How you saved it. And the tangled relationships you've all come up with since then. The first step of that is... Who or what is your spindle? Your spindle is a person, place, or thing that is important to each of you in different ways, but it's also important to remember that the four of you could not have been hanging out before now. For the same reason gods can't come to visit whenever they want, you know, they're they're too powerful, they'll bend reality, they can only visit for short periods and, and even then not very often. Demigods, a little bit lower power level means you can carry out stuff on, on the mortal plane and um, be really helpful to your pantheon, but multiple demigods working together starts to create the same problem as a god visiting. All of your sort of uh, the the gravity of your combined fate starts to collapse in on, on each other. So... Before now, the four of you haven't really known each other very well, but that's what your spindle is going to solve. Your spindle is a person, place, or thing that all of you hold dear and is important to you so much so that you would risk your life to save it. And um, after that point, you will all be tied to each other and building complex relationships because that's my favorite part. Um, So what should we make our spindle?
2: We all live in the same zone, right? In the same general, like this this nebulous city.
3: Yeah, I think uh, the great nameless city on the, on the mortal plane uh, that probably matches the description of many cities and yet is none of them. Uh,
2: I mean, I feel like it would be easy enough and make sense to just do some kind of like transit hub. Like, we're all pretty different, but the the one thing we all need to do is get around. So like a train station or a bus station or something like that where we've all had to Filter through for our whole lives to get around
0: this place.
4: Uh, kind of like a, a central hub, hub station, terminal, cradle. Yeah,
0: yeah, I like that. I was thinking a, a place sprung to mind over like a person or object. Um, so that that works. Um, Candy being very social and again not exactly celebrity, but you know, going out to do lots of projects would need to be at something like that. Probably a lot more with like buses and taxis and such but there's nothing to say that it can't be a little of all of that like you know a train station that has the The bus hub and so on.
1: Yeah, I think it's been around for a very long time and it's probably where Draven like trained his pickpocketing skills. Right. Yeah, like
0: that's what I'm thinking. Like, if,
2: if it was a train station, you know, at least from the beginning, like back in the day, that was the only way I could get into and out of the city. And then it has kind of developed around me. And even there might be places in this train station where I have souped things up that nobody realizes that. But like, I've grown up with this train station. Like, this is how I used to get in and out of the city. And Now that I'm here, it's still part
4: of me. You gave them speed rail before they knew what speed rail was. They were very caught off guard, very startled.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I like the idea of every day it starts out with Candy making sure to take the obligatory selfie at the train station of going out to do this cool thing, and like that's always the start of the day.
3: For Draven and Benny, are you two the only ones who are exceptionally old, or did I miss something?
4: No, I think Candy's 25.
3: Okay, and actually 25. Yeah.
4: (laughs) Right, and Elwin is... Actually of around thirty, thirty-four.
3: Okay. So so Benny and Draven, you you two saw this place come up from like an old fashioned train station to what it is now.
4: Yeah. Yes.
3: That's a long relationship to have with a place. That's cool. Um so the the spindle is important to all of you for different reasons. And that means when the spindle comes under attack, the four of you were each there to help save it. In the process of saving it, this is what kind of binds your weave together and makes it so that you four can can be a group of demigods working together. In kind of the context of how I usually play this, this is the first time a group like this has ever happened. Oh, okay. It means at the end of it, all the other gods and goddesses are thinking, well, some of them are thinking, hey, this is great. These four can take on something that one demigod couldn't handle. And then many deities are thinking, this is terrifying. I could take on one demigod, no problem. Four demigods is a little bit scary. Uh... And so you will be both um, courted with lots of, you know, with promise of riches and rewards and also attacked and threatened and uh, the, the whole gamut of life. Um, but we should figure out what happened to your spindle. Um, we were calling it Central Central Station. That it, works.
1: That yeah. seems like a good generic name. Yeah. Yeah. Central Station in the city. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yes.
3: Yes. It is the most iconic. So the, uh, I have several questions for you. The first question is, our spindle was under supernatural threat, right? So not, not a regular earthquake, not a, you know, a mortal robbery or something, but a supernatural disaster of some kind. And when you four showed up to save it, to save the day, what was threatening our central station
1: because this is a place with like tunnels and stairways and multiple levels with like trains and buses and just this hub where you can go around and get lost i think it was like a minotaur like a minotaur came and was like oh this is gonna be my new labyrinth i'm gonna set up shop here oh, and just yeah that is actually really lost and yeah
3: anything else aside from labyrinth because if you say labyrinth, I'm gonna go.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I like it. I think we stick with that. Ooh,
3: I'll run I'll run with labyrinth any day of the week. Um so the Minotaur trying to do something with this labyrinth, but the, but something about that came to a head and it was disastrous. Um what um what does what was the nature of that disaster and what was the collateral damage and how did we make it look like it wasn't a Minotaur digging for a labyrinth to hide it from the mortals?
0: Oh, okay, so uh, just from working downtown Indianapolis, a major problem springs to my mind. So I think it was either one of the trains or even a subway car was coming in and, um, you know, our battle kind of weakened some stuff. It, it caused it to either go off the rail or just full on break down and kind of fall fall down a level or two. Into the you know the building or the the whole complex,
3: um, so the four of you had already discovered the Minotaur and were trying to tell him what's up, but the yeah. fight upset. The
1: subway. Yeah, I I think so. Like we thought we could get him down onto the subway and it would like destroy him and instead he just like knocked the subway (laughs) into, like up and into the, not necessarily the street, but like through the roof.
3: Or it came shooting out like at the end of speed. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Sorry, spoilers. Spoilers. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And uh, yeah, I think we essentially explain that away as like a sinkhole, like something broke in the foundation, and caused all the chaos.
3: So the Minotaur punched a train into into a cave in. I I love everything about that. This is fantastic. This is this is now canon for what Minotaurs are like. They're just train punching jerks.
2: We've we've created a very strong Minotaur. Here. <laughs> we have. Yeah. Oh no.
3: Uh, okay. So the next question I have for you: We in, in this in saving Central Station. Is that what we said? Yeah. Central Station. We impressed a divine being of some kind. Who would we have impressed and why were they?
0: Impressed? Um, I mean, I am attached to a deity of the underworld. Um, you know, the whole job being to make sure that the people that shouldn't die don't and the people that do are taken where they need to go. I think it stands to reason that it's kind of impressive that like who know how many, who knows how many hundreds of people might have died in this. Uh, we were able to be a part of stopping that from happening, something that shouldn't have happened, it didn't. We were successful. And it wasn't just, oh, yeah, I, I did my usual daily saving of a life. It was hundreds of people. So maybe Hades?
3: And hundreds of people who weren't, they weren't supposed to die. So they weren't on the, they weren't on the list.
0: Right. So it could have been catastrophic if they had, but we, we squeaked in and, and took care of
4: it. Could I, like, throw something out there for that? Sure. Um, what about if it isn't directly, like, Hades himself? Or maybe it's who's married to Hades, like his wife, Persephone,
0: Persephone, Uh,
4: Persephone. Yeah. yeah. And like, maybe she's, you know, kind of eh about you, but she totally loves the idea of, you know, keeping along with the list and everything or just like begrudgingly, like she's got to give you this one.
0: Yeah. 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 I like the tension there that, you know, she's kind of protective of Hades and him having this daughter from some mysterious source is not great so but
1: yeah she doesn't love that yeah
0: but we did a solid we did a good thing and she has to go all right
1: and like you did it bureaucratically correct like you <laughs> stop the incorrect termination of lives that are not on the list to be received this week <laughs>
3: yeah okay yeah i imagine hades probably wouldn't have cared that much but persephone would have been impressed for sure that's cool i like that idea a lot okay so conversely we ticked off a different divine being and uh it could have been that they caused this it could have been they set it up or it could have been they were just enjoying the show and we spoiled it um so uh does anything jump to mind okay
1: so we have talked a little bit about like the different pantheons of gods and you and you said that there's like a modern pantheon of gods that kind of stuff that people believe in has a deity or could have you know power so we've got this train station that like people are traveling through and it's kind of free but like ride sharing is such a big thing right now is there like a god of this collective ride sharing and he wants to destroy this place of like free travel i, I <laughs> am leafed yes exactly <laughs> i can tell
3: you i have honestly never been asked about a god of ride sharing before this has never come up uh, <laughs> I can't believe that. Like, it's
1: such a movement that, you know...
3: Um, Yeah, one one of the modern pantheons is internet. And internet is sort of like the... Is more like a monotheistic uh, god. But, you know, the internet or media, really, depending on how you want to call that, has all of these uh saints and spirits and and apps and programs that are popular enough definitely have the power to to be a person like you know personified
1: saint writer the the, the uh ride share <laughs> I yeah, like it totally. I kind of
4: like that yeah um except it's not like R I D E R it should be like spelled differently yeah like
2: <laughs> R R Y D E R.
3: Oh yeah, Y's make it cooler. A Y makes it cooler for sure. A lowercase
2: X and a capital X on either side, and <laughs> sweet it's like sweet
1: Xbox gamer Four twenty writer. Four twenty. <laughs>
3: oh my god, it totally is. This is fantastic. I can't believe no one's had this. Is this is great. So the uh, the Minotaur. We went. We discovered the Minotaur was trying to dig for a labyrinth and get people lost on purpose just because he wants a labyrinth again, and uh, that wasn't cool. So the four of you showed up to stop that. In the process of fighting the Minotaur, a train crashes. Now, you guys um, saved the train, saved the people. What what happened to the people on the train?
0: Um, I mean, clearly they saw us. Um, that's something, too. Uh, th- this is probably a question for after this, but um, you know, I have it in my head of like, how do people take this how do they take us in general um but i you know i think we got probably everybody off Eh? if it was going to be something impressive enough to yeah Yeah. i think i think if you swayed persephone you had to
2: have gotten a home run you know yeah
0: yeah so we got everybody off the train but there is still enough collateral damage that it was noticeable
1: yeah that line is down for a while yeah
3: you know and so your question about you know what did they see happen uh mortals will aggressively edit their perception. They they don't want to see the supernatural. They want to believe, but they don't want to know it for sure. So um, in our setting, they will just, they'll edit out your horns, your wings, your glowing eyes, your, you know... This goblin is just just a a guy in ratty clothes, you know. Yeah, Um, these are cosplayers. Yes, (laughs) they will do whatever mental gymnastics are required to make this fit in their reality. So, um.
0: (laughs) oh man. So I think in any time after this too, anything that seems like this, Candy is doing her best to take selfies even in the action. Like she's almost documenting it like she knows it's a shtick and she knows that people are going to be like, oh, that's funny. She's like fighting minotaurs. <laughs> OK, whatever. And she's really doing it, but they don't believe it.
3: <laughs> that brings up a question for me. Is Candy's public persona associated with having saved the train or been on the train? Was she a victim on the train as well? Do people associate her with? Uh,
0: I think so. I, I think not necessarily on the train, but. One of the first on the scene. Ah, okay. Um, so, you know, she was helping people out of the train and, and you know, being helpful helpful there.
3: Selfless social media influencer steps in to save uh, victims of train crash.
2: Exactly. Okay. Hashtag blessed.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. The last question, which I think answers itself, is how did our spindle get tangled up in this? Uh, it was going to be the labyrinth. So- um, I think that makes that makes a lot of sense. Any questions about how that fight went or, or what the results should
1: be? No, I don't think so. Yeah? No.
3: So, that leads us to... So, normally we say, okay, this, this event is called The Binding. And, and it's the four of you, as far as I'm concerned, this has never happened ever before in the history of, you know the belief systems of the world. Um, you've been bound together. And usually I like to say this was six months ago or a year ago. And you guys you guys can pick what works best for you. But um, we we need a little bit of time since then because you four can hang out with other demigods. You can hang out with each other uh, for the first time. And that means your characters are going to develop tangles with each other. These are your... In other games, they're called like bonds or relationships or whatever. Uh, obviously, I was all in on this like a uh, fabric uh, metaphor. So I called it tangles and, um, Each of you has six. You don't have to fill in all six of them. But I do, I like you to have at least one for each other player. And then optionally, you can have one for the spindle for Central Station. That might not work if it's like you have a crush on blank.
1: (laughs) Okay, so, and with our spindle, like, the events of the spindle have made it so that we don't have that catastrophic impact on the world that demigods normally have when they hang out.
3: Exactly. The spindle is propping up your fate. So that, uh, so that you can collaborate. Uh, it also will leave you somewhat motivated to protect the spindle and make sure that that's okay because we don't know what happens if the spindle goes away.
1: Okay, cool.
3: So... Um, does anyone, uh, have tangles that are th- real exciting right off the bat?
2: Um, I mean, I think one that I definitely want to do is you made an epic item for blank and they owe you. I want to have made Draven's puzzle box
0: Oh and not
2: even necessarily for Draven, like, because we are both kind of ancient, like that was some tinkering that I was doing and I made this thing and at some point it found its way into your hands. Yeah, yeah. So like when we meet each other, I'm like, Hey, I remember that thing. You know, so that's, you have that's made, mine. I made you that
1: made this cigarette. The cigarette case. Yeah, okay. And I'm
2: just like, keep it. That's all you. I haven't had I haven't seen that thing in forty years. It's all you. Yeah, I like
3: that. That's cool. And if it was a cigarette case, it's gonna have to be from like eighty years ago at this point, so that makes sense. (laughs) Exactly, yeah.
0: I really like these. These are for kind of a you know, bubbly character, these are pretty These are pretty um, drab, a little macabre, and I like it. The first one on my list is, you had a vision of someone's death. Describe how, but not where or when. I'll take that one. Okay. So, Elwyn, I saw die. I think the how, I don't get to know where or when, I think the how is, I saw Benny Like kneeling over the body because story building. That's why you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think I saw Benny like kneeling over the body with one of uh like one of Elwin's own arrows in his grasp bloody. And so I don't know the context of any of that, but I've seen it.
3: Well, and of course, that could be a lot of things. That could have been a double. It could have been Elwin's first death or third death because, you know, heroes. (laughs) <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Can I piggyback off that? Kind of. Mm-hmm. Uh. You and Elwin are on a hunt for a rare material of some kind that I help you make your arrows, or that I intend to help you make your arrows. And uh. so that's something to do with the reason why, in the vision, I've killed him with one of the arrows, is because I have a link to oh yeah
4: like one of the specialty the arrows. Yeah, nice. Oh, I like that. Yeah, absolutely. Put me in there.
0: Awesome.
3: And it is really hard to kill someone with a boxing glove arrow, so that's that's impressive. It was it was, it was
0: impressive. Tremendous strength. <laughs> oh, this one's. A little sad too. You escorted someone's family member into the afterlife. Anybody here lose anyone special?
1: (laughs) It was was just such a morbid. Like anyone here lose Lose anyone anyone.
3: special?
0: (laughs) Do I mark an experience for having said something morbid?
2: Um, I feel. You know what? I feel like my uh, automaton is named after. My family dog from way back in the day. Aww. So, I think you escorted my dog I to the afterlife when they passed. I that. Okay.
0: Poor Herman.
3: A, a dog, of course, who was very old and passed from natural causes. Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely.
0: Yes. Uh, I also bartered with another Reaper for someone's life and won. So, like, one of you was on death's door?
3: And a different Reaper showed up to take care of business. Exactly. Likes-
0: okay. So the dog loved you so much and was so sweet. (laughs) Maybe something happened to you, Benny. And I was like, no, that dog was the best dog and I can't let his master go. Absolutely.
2: Okay. I mean, I think I have probably done some dangerous shit in my time and something backfired at some point for Mm sure. Awesome.
3: Some experiment blew up in your face or something. Or
2: just a car fell off the jack on top of (laughs) you.
3: Lots, (laughs)
2: Lots
0: of time for things to go wrong. Very good. Um... I have thrown some epic parties with this person.
2: No, certainly not. Yeah, no. that, that
0: doesn't seem like Benny or um, Elwyn. No. Um, I, I actually have
2: one that says, if blank drags you to another party, you're going to scream. Oh, that's so, candy. <laughs> yeah, put
0: you in that. <laughs> that's candy for sure. How about somebody ignored my premonition and has the scars to prove it?
1: I think that one would be me, because uh, I have one that is. Someone caught you in a lie one time and earned your respect. Oh. So I like the idea that you had a premonition about Draven and you were like, hey, this thing you're going to do, don't do it. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not doing that thing. And then I clearly went and did it and just got messed up (laughs) and came back. And you were like, "Mm mm-hmm. Yeah, how's that? How did that treat you?
0: I like that.
1: And so I think there's this kind of respect for you and what you can do. You know, actually... Like, with that idea, I kind of like the party one, too, because I have one that is, it seems like Blank understands why you do what you do. You'll have to keep an eye on them. Oh. And so being, like, this pickpocket, this thief of really high-end items, Candy's going to draw important, powerful, <laughs> rich people to her party. So I feel like that I might be like, yeah, we should totally throw parties. Let's party together. So and that it brings me a bunch just of Selena Kyle's <laughs> <Yes>. these people. <laughs> I, I am down.
3: All right, so I have to know, is there any part of Candy's warning that made Draven go do the thing she told him not to do? <laughs> yeah,
1: probably. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to be honest about... Character traits. It is definitely that Draven strikes me as the oh, I can't do this because fate says this will happen. Well, I will show you how I dance around fate.
3: Yeah, like he was on the fence about it, and then someone told him not to do it, and he's like,
1: (laughs) "Yes, exactly." Oh,
4: I love that. Well, if that's the case, then um, I think. I'm going to pick, you were wrong about Candy, and you can't oh. figure out why. Okay. And I think it's because I look at you, and I see this sort of bubbly, very colorful person, and I think, uh, oh, she's just a, you know, a ditz or something like that. And then in a- in actuality, she's serving a very important thing, but at the same time, I can't figure out why I was wrong about her. Okay. Okay.
0: I
3: dig yeah. that like that so you've underestimated yeah
4: basically yeah and then uh you said something uh we can make the the spindle part of our uh, tangle?
3: Yeah, if you have one that makes sense, there wouldn't be any sort of like mechanical. So like tangles in general, when you go to provide aid, like do a help roll, you're going to add how many tangles you have with that person. So you're probably not ever going to help central station with a roll of the dice, but um it still can, you know, create that narrative fact of whatever that relationship describes.
4: Okay. Okay. Uh cuz I've got one you've seen a dark future thread tangled around and I thought central station
3: that totally works
2: i've got one tell me if this if this will fly for the spindle for central station central station relies on your expertise and you have a mutual respect like that i've grown up with this place and that i have the idea that i might have even messed with it along the way like that it relies on my expertise like every now and then i patch it up or i i fix something or i change something that nobody else really knows about and i feel like the mutual respect is i respect this place for sure Like, this is an institution for me. And that I, I don't know if it's true, but I have a perception that, like, the train station's looking out for me. Like, there have been times when, like, I've gotten to the station for the day and realized I forgot my my pass, but when I get to one of the gates, it's out of order, so it's just open and you're free to go. And I'm like... Thanks, Central Station. You got my back. And I don't know if Central Station is actually animate, but I feel like it's it's got my back and I've got its back.
3: Nice. I like that. The question of its awareness. That's that's fun. I like that.
4: I've also got one. uh, Blank has seen you at your worst disheveled and confused.
1: You know, I think that the idea of you like getting this battle lust like that you are this hunter and you're you know, you want to get into the hunt. Like thinking of that as being your like the end of that, like the come down being disheveled and confused and beat up after you've been through that.
4: Oh yeah, yeah, sort of like a a, a banner after. Yes, exactly. Coming out of the Hulk, and yeah. so I
1: think that I have seen you at the end of a hunt, but having seen you during the hunt on my sheet, I think that gives me blank will make an excellent shield when trouble finally hits. <laughs>
0: oh my god. That
1: like when things get bad, I know that he goes crazy for the hunt, that it'll be a good place to hide. Nice.
2: All right, so this one definitely plays into the other character. So Rev, tell me how you feel about this.
1: Okay. You're head over heels for Draven but you
2: don't think they know.
1: Oh, okay. I have one that is uh you and blank pulled a hellish prank that one time. And it feels like that would be like the thing that would trigger a crush, like that maybe you aren't necessarily the person who does that kind of stuff normally. And like, come on, kid, let's go do this thing. And just that being on the the other side of the tracks. Actually, that feeds into two of mine, because one of them is you just can't resist pushing Benny's buttons, (laughs) Just just kind of knowing that he is kind of. Not necessarily the goody goody, but in comparison, uh, you know, a, a good soul and kind of poking at the, Oh, hey, we should do this thing. Oh, try this drink. Oh, do this stuff. You know, smoke this thing, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I feel like just part of both of us being super old. Yeah.
2: That I, I feel like I can connect with you more anyway. Like oh you've God. been around for everything I've been around for.
1: It is making me think of, uh, good omens <laughs> yeah. oh
0: my god
1: it's probably not that extreme it's a very very mild version of those two but who else lives that long <laughs> yeah. and if that's the case then i've got one
4: i think for benny uh You know the secret Benny keeps in their heart. Oh,
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I
2: mean, that's perfect. And I've got, you confided a deep secret in blank. Will they keep it? So that- There you go. Yeah, (laughs) meshes perfectly. And that is the end of my tangles. I will have them
4: all filled out. That's awesome. Uh, I'm actually going to add one more for Candy, too. Um, Oh. And I think it is, someone in Candy's pantheon is plotting against them, but you don't know all the details. And I think, like, in Elwyn's mind, maybe Persephone- might have had actually something to do with the uh with the Minotaur as well, but she's playing it like, you know, as a double agent sort of thing, you know, uh oh, that way she could get maybe closer to Candy.
2: I mean this is your thing. I but when you said that my thought was like That Persephone really wants to see Candy fail, so like, isn't orchestrating but could be doing her job and isn't in ways that she think will set Persephone up for, will
0: set
4: Candy up for failure. That's even better, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, because I mean, that would still apply for the mechanic of this whole thing, that she was legitimately impressed that she didn't pull it off.
3: It might be that Persephone might like you the other 3 of you <laughs> too, you know, and just be annoyed with Candy.
0: You're all cool. It's this girl. <laughs> okay, okay. I dig that. I had one not filled and it just I just don't think it applies to everybody, so I'm going to leave one, but yeah, I've still got the what rest. That's good. I want to know what it is. Oh, it's just you have feelings for blank, um, but haven't made your move yet, and I just no, I don't think that's None the of case. us are worth
4: it. I also have one blank that would uh, go along with that if we ever filled it in. You ache for blank, <laughs> but I've seen what will happen if you reveal your true feelings. That is potent.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Okay, so that's it. Everyone's done no no outstanding tangles, right?
0: I don't think so. Yeah. Nope. Okay.
3: Well, good game, everybody. Thanks for coming. That's yeah. it. <laughs> okay, so character creation is good to go. I want to figure out a little bit about what your characters would be up to on, let's say a random Sunday in July. And um, keeping in mind, your orbits are going to be in around near Central Station. This place is very important to the four of you, um, cosmologically even. Not, not just like you want to be here, but you end up here sometimes. But you don't have to put yourself right at Central Station. Uh, however, on this uh, Sunday afternoon, let's say the city... Our uh, amorphously named city is somewhere uh, with a coast or at least a port of some kind. And uh, of course, in the middle of summer, that might mean it's real humid out. So I like the idea of a gray afternoon that hasn't rained yet, but it's still like 80% humidity out and, you know, 85, 90 degrees. The Sunday afternoon is hot. Everyone wishes it would just hurry up and rain already, but it hasn't. Rev, what is Draven up to?
1: I think Draven is standing outside of Central Station at one of the hot dog carts, and he has a a half-eaten hot dog, and he is uh, leaning on a closed umbrella, uh, just kind of waiting for it to break, uh, because he knows that when it rains around here, especially on Sundays when people are going to and fro from kind of family visits, that they pay less attention when it's raining. And so he might be able to get a couple of good marks this afternoon.
3: Mm. Uh, Nice. Now, when Draven picks pockets he doesn't really need to to survive right this is just correct he is just (laughs)
1: hoping it is like a crane machine he's hoping that maybe he gets something worthwhile if not he throws it in the pile to trade for you know here's these 50 trinkets for that one thing that i want
3: he's doing this just because it's who he is yes nice okay Um, Tass, what is Candy up to on this humid, disgusting afternoon?
0: Uh, I think she lives right outside of town, which is why she uses this hub. Like, she uh, probably buses in and then would uh, generally take a taxi to whatever random thing she's doing. So right now, uh, she is getting ready to leave for... Um, she, she's doing a little spot for a new bistro that's opening up in town and she's going to review it. So right now is the obligatory selfie with the central station sign in the background with her post about what she's about to go out and do today.
3: Is it significant that she takes taxis instead of rideshare uh, vehicles? I,
0: I just think that's what she's used to. She thinks of her own very special app as her own kind of lift and so that's all she needs to worry about with that she likes to do other stuff in a simpler way if she can
1: and can I ask like with the the danger of Saint Rider like did you at one point take a lift or something and get attacked by one of his devotees or whatever maybe
0: yeah maybe even if it was something subtle like it was just a really bad experience and she went my God I almost gotten three wrecks in a 10 minute drive. Was that on purpose or was that just a bad experience? I'm not doing that anymore.
3: Yeah. And the drive went eight miles when it just needed one and a half. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Teach, what's Elwyn up to? He's
4: just chilling out at the moment because he's going home from a hunt and everything. And so he's chilling out in the bar and just.
3: What's our bartender? What's her name?
4: Her name is uh, Denise.
3: And what is supernatural about Denise? Why, why is she not mortal?
4: Because she is uh, a, a, an information broker. She has. Ties to like the media gods and everything like that. So she, you know, like any good bartender, she's there to listen and to to pass on information and everything. So she's also a very good uh, source for you know where's the best hunt.
3: Okay, cool. That makes sense. So she has uh like fairly dark skin, and uh, over her face and her arms, you can see uh, text scrolling right, like almost like a ticker feed on the news. Um, which mortals obviously aren't gonna notice, but um, you know, this sort of like light blue text scrolling down her skin is Oh nice. You know, occasionally she'll point out things like, Oh hey, did you know about this headline here? <laughs> That's so awesome. And um yeah, yeah, she's she's interested in uh in helping you out sometimes. Jake, how is Benny spending this humid afternoon? Uh
2: so Benny's got his mobile workshop actually parked outside of Central. There is a uh just a vending machine on the street that's been there like since he was young. Like this vending machine is super old and nobody actually knows who even services it anymore because it's Benny. It's just somewhere he used to go get a drink when he was young. Like it was one of the first vending machines he'd ever seen in his life and so right now he's just uh got it pulled away from the wall and is kind of squished between the machine and the wall fixing something on the back of it because it's gone out of order again and he's got to take care of this machine
3: that's cool what what does your portable workshop look like
2: uh i mean it is basically just a big utility van uh and the back of it you know there aren't any seats in the back it's got a driver's seat and a passenger seat and then just benches and tools and equipment in the back
3: okay cool does it have like Benny's repairs on the outside, or it's just an unmarked white van. No, it's
2: just an unmarked white van because supernatural customers keep showing up, and I'm trying to keep <laughs> it low profile. But, uh But they find me anyway.
3: So at this point, you know, you're you're working on this vending machine. The uh, L ones at the bar. Candy's doing. Uh, wait, Candy selfies. Is that right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm trying to remember that and. Um, draven you're just waiting for that rain yeah um at this point there is a crack of thunder like you've never heard before and you all you've also heard supernatural thunder before you know i'm sure thor has stopped in for a visit (laughs) at at least once he's kind of a doof but you you know you've met him you can tell people you've met him like (laughs) yeah, yeah we hung out one time um and this is it's louder than any sort of thunder or lightning that you know the it's louder than any of that you've heard before and uh it probably because this bolt of lightning strikes the top of the central station and elwyn at the bar you turn and realize you and denise are the only ones moving around everyone else is stopped in their tracks
1: Demigods is a fast-paced take on mythology, pulling from any pantheon or belief system you can imagine. Plot the arc of your ascension to godhood while you battle mythological creatures and villains in a modern world. Using the Powered by the Apocalypse game system, Demigods brings mythology to life in the style of American Gods, Good Omens, and the Percy Jackson series. Demigods by Jason Mills is available on Kickstarter until August 8th.
0: The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Please try to get some sleep tonight. I've been trying to sleep all week. Nothing helps.
1: You could try a sleep sound. No, thanks.
0: You've had enough nightmares for the both of us. Let me go!
1: Come on. The medication
2: has nothing to do with that. I haven't had a bad dream in ages.
0: (laughs) Ever since your highly problematic affair in Idaho?
3: Oh my god. Never stop. Nothing happened.
4: Nothing happened?
3: Well, you still haven't told me who you're bringing to graduation.
1: Oh. Your heart is racing. How can you tell? You're lying on top of me.
0: What if I don't want anyone else to know yet? And it wasn't a
4: bad dream? I don't know. Christopher, you know.
3: Can't you appreciate that I'm trying to help you here?
0: Thanks for the pills, Lils.
3: Dreamers, Season 2 by Broken Crown Productions. Tune in weekly
1: wherever you listen to podcasts.